All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 33, and we're continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Now, just, just you know, because we're, we're, we're halfway through the book of Samuel, and uh, what's the phrase when you think about 1 Samuel? Anointed one. The, anoint, the anointed one. That has everything to do with the oil coming upon the king. The first king ever in Israel is Saul. He is the first one that is actually anointed. Now, crazy enough, Saul's life is going to lead to David's life. David's life is going to point to the coming Messiah. And so the whole point of what you're going to start seeing is the anointed one is coming in and on and through a human being. Now, in 1 Samuel 13, what do we have? 1 Samuel 13, we have a battle. In fact, it's the very first battle that's won. And guess who does it? Guess who, who gets the victory? It's actually Jonathan. But in typical form, what you'll see with Saul, you'll see jealousy, you'll see pride. And Saul actually is the one who takes credit. But here's how I would describe, in fact, here's how Scripture describes Jonathan. Kevin, if you go to 2 Samuel 1.22, I love this image. 2 Samuel 1.22, it's describing Jonathan. It says, Jonathan's bow never retreated. Saul's sword never returned unstained. Uh, isn't that interesting? From the blood of the slain, from the bodies of the mighty. Jonathan was the mighty warrior. Jonathan was the born leader. Even as Warren Wearsby says, Jonathan was a man of faith and that victory came literally through his son, Jonathan. So that's the backdrop, just so you know, just so you're caught up. Because Look, here's the reality when you read scriptures. Some people in Revive School haven't got caught up yet. They're like, oh, I missed a week. I went on vacation or, hey, I've been gone for three days or, you know, I've been sick for a couple of days. Whatever the context is, it's okay but that's why we kind of do reviews sometimes, just to make sure we're all on the same field. Because the one thing I don't ever want people to feel like with Revive School is that you have to. It should be a desire. Like, I get to wake up and read the Word of God. I get to wake up and study the Word of God. I've, I've never studied this much in my life. Literally, late nights, early mornings. And I don't say that anything in vain. I don't say that anything in pride. Like, that's just the season that the Lord has me in. We, we've got a long journey ahead of us um, that people are going to be reading this all the way up until, I believe, actually through December, Kevin, if I'm not mistaken. And so it's kind of a cool picture, but just one day at a time. OK, we're talking about the anointed one. So in First Samuel 14, that's where we're going to begin to unpack the verses today. So scripture says this, that same day, Saul's son, Jonathan, said to the attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's cross over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. In other words, Jonathan is like. It just feels like he's not afraid of anything, except maybe his dad. Because <laughs> look what it says. However, he did not tell his father. Now, now may, maybe his father, as is, is, uh, Nelson's commentary says, maybe Saul would have viewed uh, Jonathan's actions as reckless, as careless, as like, hey, why are you doing this mentality? But either way, he's going to go to the other side. He's going to leave the Israeli camp and he's going to approach the Philistine, the outpost. And in verse two, this is what it says. Saul was staying under the pomegranate tree in Migron on the outskirts of Gibeah. And the troops with Saul at this point, you're going to see later on down the road, his troops have increased, his troops have uh, grown. But right now he has 600 troops. Just a little funny, uh, you know, that pomegranate tree. 
you know, I've gone to the Middle East and specifically Israel, you know, multiple times. And uh, after a while, you can only buy so many Israeli Defense Force t-shirts that are sold at the market. <laughs> right, Rich? You can only buy so many, um, what was something else? Like give your kids, um, uh, what's the coins? Why am I drawing a blank on the coins? New Israeli shekels. Yeah, the new Israeli shekels. Like you can only give your family the so much the same things. So I started a new tradition. I'm going to start giving my wife something that has to do with the image of a pomegranate. So I just started this compliments at the Tel Aviv airport, you know? And so, you know what that means, right? Last minute shopping. <laughs> and so anyway, I, I got my wife a, a pomegranate, a little red pomegranate. So when she's writing the daily de- uh, devotionals for Revive School, she gets to see this every day. It's right next to her, her cup of coffee. And so here he is. He's sitting under uh, a, a pomegranate tree. And it's kind of a cool image of 600 troops. Now, do you think they're all sitting with him under the tree? It says the troops with him. Any thoughts? I just, I'm not, li- it's not literal. It'd be a huge tree. Yeah, that'd be a big tree. It could be a large one. Point is, it's just want to make sure you get this. You know, he's on the outskirts of Gibeah, which is actually Saul's home. In fact, can we go to a map here, Clayton? So Gibeah here would be Saul's hometown. Okay, we're gonna get into Michmash and, and Geba, but in Gibeah, Gibeah, that's well, kind of interesting. Three miles south of Geba, where Jerusalem was. Now let's go to verse three, if we can. Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod was also there. So this ephod, now Tom, you, you had helped me with this. Where, where is the ephod here? It's like the uh, robe on top of the blue robe, so the multicolored robe. So the, the ephod of gold and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. You guys remember when we studied that in the Pentateuch, the blue, the purple, and the scarlet? Remember that image of blue and red, blue and, uh, right? And then in the middle, you have purple, which is the mixture, right? It's like my kids in elementary school. You know, like the boys are the blue and the girls are red, right? And then they go, and there'll be no purpling today. No purples today. You know what that means? No mixing boys and girls in class or in lines. I, I kind of always have this image. So this is the ephod. So Ahaja, he was wearing this, okay? He was also there. Interesting enough, he was the son of Ahatub, the brother of Ichabod, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest at Shiloh. But the troops did not know that Jonathan had left. So here's the image, okay? You got Saul, you got Ahaja, right? He was the son of Ahatub. <laughs> so let, let's just do this, can we? Let, let's just, we, we need to, oh, for crying out loud. All right. Probably looks nothing like actual pomegranate tree. Okay, so here you have a pomegranate tree. Uh, let's just, we know we have Saul, right? Okay, and we know that there's 600 troops. <laughs> okay, so here you have... Guys, I really want to get to some good stuff today, but why didn't you get to your lesson? I was really intrigued with my drawings today, you know? Oh, help me, Lord. All right, so there's Saul. He's got 600 troops. Who else was here, you guys? Jonathan was at one point. Oh, Kevin, verse 3. Help me here. Oh, Jonathan wasn't there. No, he'd left already. Verse 3, Ahaja. It's like I haven't been teaching at all. Ahaja. Okay, and what's he wearing, you guys? Okay, that's Ahaja. All right. Okay, Ahaja is there. You have Saul there, 600 troops. The crazy thing is, I know how this works in teaching. Nobody's going to remember the rest of this lesson except my little drawing here. Oh, did you guys remember 1 Samuel 14, the pomegranate tree? That's okay. So here they are. They're sitting there. And then where did, where did Jonathan go? Jonathan is not here. 
Okay, we'll get into that in a little bit. So Jonathan is not there. And it says this in verse four. There was a sharp, a sharp columns of rock on both sides of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine garrison. One was named Bozes and the other Sina. Bozes actually means slippery and Sina means thorny. So I, I kind of, in my mind, when I hear that, like, I just think, like, it's not an easy pass. Do you know what I mean? So here you have Bozes, okay, and then you have Sina, okay? So this one means slippery, and this one means thorny. Which, if you had to choose a path, which one would you rather have, slippery or thorny? Slippery. So, yeah, that's because you're wearing your swimsuit right now. I knew you were going to try to... In, well, we should draw Clayton right here, right? No, for real. Okay, you'd rather do slippery. Kevin, what would you rather encourage or encounter? Thorny or slippery? I'm going to go with slippery. Can you imagine trying to like, trying to get up? Like, that was my slippery action, you guys. Uh, or thorny. Rich, what do you got? I would choose slippery. So he was intended... Tom? Slippery. He was intended to cross to reach the Philistine garrison. One was named Bozes and the other Sina. One stood to the north in front of Michmash, if you go to verse 5, if you can, and the other to the south in front of Geba. And so this is, uh, if you can go to the map for me. So here, here's the Michmash component, okay? So we're over here, we're talking about this area right here, just to kind of give you a bigger picture um, of where we're at, okay? In verse 6 it says, yeah, okay, thanks. Here's the topographical map. Here is Michmash over here. Obviously, this is a little bit more of a current picture <laughs> because right here, what do you see up here, Rich? Uh, your finger. <laughs> it's a tower. So it's steeple it's a tower. Tower or it'd something. Be a, sort. It'd be a mosque. Yeah, it's a mosque. That obviously, we wouldn't have been there at the time, but in verse 6, it says this. Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. These Gentiles, perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, uh, whether by many or by few. To me, this is a cool picture because one of the components I want to emphasize here is that you have to believe, and this is Jonathan, right? The reason I think he's a courageous soldier, the reason I think that he's a born leader, a man of faith, is that he believed that God can give the victory. If you don't believe that can, God can give the victory, you'll never encounter the slippery or the thorny paths in life. It, like, you just won't. You won't even have a desire to cross over. You won't have a desire to actually, remember the whole break camp in Joshua 3? You never have a desire to leave camp unless you believe that God can actually give you the victory. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a posture or a position of confidence, not in yourselves, but in the Lord. You have to believe that God can give the victory. Can you go to Judges, Kevin, 7, verse 7? Judges 7, verse 7. It's a cool picture, again, of, of what we're after, what we're talking about here. Then the Lord said, I will, said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and hand the Midianites over to you, but everyone else is to go home. Gideon had to choose, do I believe the word of God or not? He had to believe whether or not God was actually going to give Gideon the land. Jonathan had to actually believe the same thing as he approaches Bozaz Sena. Am I going to actually have this, this land? Can you go to Deuteronomy 20, verse 1 as well? It says this, When you go out to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army larger than yours, don't be afraid of them. For the Lord your God who, is, who brought you out of the land of Egypt is with you. you know, I, I just wonder... 
if Jonathan was banking on the word of God. I really believe that when people walk by faith, you want to know why? Because they know the word of God. I really believe, uh, I, I believe the Lord's given me the gift of faith. One of the reasons that I believe the Lord's given me the gift of faith is because I actually believe this thing is true. If you don't believe this thing is true, you're very, very rarely going to walk out anything called faith. And so one of the issues that I think that the American church is dealing with is that we're still sitting on the pomegranate tree. We're still hanging out with the troops. We're still hanging out with the priests. But the reality is Jonathan's like, I want more. You know, interesting enough, I don't know if anybody would ever describe Jonathan, but I think Jonathan had hope. I think Jonathan had hope and his hope was who? In the Lord. And so when times are tough, even when you're sitting on the pomegranate tree and times are okay and times are fine, Jonathan's like, let's not be satisfied. Let's go after what the Lord actually told us to do. In fact, if you'll go to one more, 1 Samuel 9, verse 16, Kevin. 1 Samuel 9, verse 16. At this time, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people, Israel. He'll save them from the hand of the Philistines because I have seen the affliction of my people for their cry has come to me. This is interesting to me. Like the mentality should be what? Saul should have this mentality. Saul should be the one that desires, oh, I, I can win this victory. But it's always constantly his son, Jonathan. All right, let's keep going if we can. Can you keep going to verse 7, Kevin? It says this in verse 7, His armor bearer responded, Do what is in your heart. You choose. I'm right here with whatever you decide. You know what I love about this? Is that Jonathan has a buddy. That's his armor bearer. <laughs> yeah. And yes, there are times in life, 100%, that God asks you to do something by yourself. I think that happens all the time. But what I see more and more in the body of Christ, what I see even in examples, is that God will surround you with people that will walk with you that are like-minded. And in verse 8, it says, All right, Jonathan replied, We'll cross over to the men and let them see us. If they say, Wait until we, see, until we reach you, then we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, Come on up, then we'll go up, because the Lord has handed them over to us. That will be our sign. So here's the reality. Once you believe God can give the victory then you need to seek God's guidance, right, in the process. Like, it's not just a one-time deal where you're just kind of like, oh, hey, yeah, God's going to give us a victory, and then you do it all on your own. But I do think this is kind of an interesting thing. What's the approach here, Kevin, again? If they cross over in the Philistines, what do the Philistines have to say? Come up to us. If they say, come on up, okay, fine, then then we're going to go on up. You you realize what he's actually saying, right? How how many are there of them? (laughs) Two of them. And so in verse 11, it says, they let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison. In other words, they weren't spies. They weren't scouts. They weren't hiding behind anything. They're like, hey, guys. <laughs> hey. It says, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've been hiding. So the Philistines are excited. And in verse 12, it says, the men of garrison, they called to Jonathan and his armor bearer. Come on up. We'll teach you a lesson, they said. Well, like, okay. Like, who does that? Only people that believe God can give them the victory and are seeking God's guidance. This was what, what, what Jonathan asked for. He asked for confirmation. So he looks at his armor bearer. He says, you ready? You really ready to do this? I hope you've got some arsenal behind you. I hope you can fight little Bruce Lee in you because right now, like the Lord is, I mean, follow me. For the Lord has handed them over to Israel. Like what incredible, ridiculous faith. So what you see here, 
in verse 11 on is, is that they step out in faith. No longer do they believe it. No longer are they seeking God's counsel. Oh, God, we want to reach our community for the gospel, God. Lord, please allow us to reach the lost. And as they're talking, as they're praying, and the elders decide in local churches, and they say, you know what we should do? We think we should actually go out and do this. <laughs> you can pray about it. You can seek the counsel all you want. But until you actually step out and leave your church building, it doesn't matter. What I love what Jonathan does in his armor bearer is that he actually steps out. They say, oh, come on. And it says in verse, look at this, it continues on. In verse 13, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer behind him. Jonathan cut them down and his armor bearer followed and finished them off. What? Just like that in verse 14, in that first assault, Jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in a half acre field. Braveheart is beginning. 20 men were killed. Okay? Okay? 20 of them, not four. So it says in that first assault, 20 men in a half an acre. I mean, I think this is cool. And then it says terror spread throughout the Philistine camp. Panic literally kicked in. Panic kicked in into the Philistine camp and the open fields to all the troops. And even the garrison and the raiding parties were terrified. The earth shook and the terror spread from, from God. It was almost like as Jonathan took a leap of faith, divine intervention, the earth shook. I mean, some would even say maybe even an earthquake. And terror spread from, from God. Can you go to Proverbs 21 verse 31? Proverbs 21, verse 31, just has this mentality of uh, what, I, what I like. A horse is prepared for the day of the battle, but the victory comes from the Lord. Do you remember when we very first talked? But we got to believe that God can give the victory. And, and here he is, and he's actually experiencing the victory. You know, we're going to get into this in, in, in David and Goliath and the whole battle there, but I, I really believe um, all it takes is one person. In fact, there was a general in the U.S. military that used to say, uh, you know, the one person, one person with courage is the majority. And in fact, that's really all Jonathan is doing because as this happens, look in verse 16, what you're going you're gonna to see is that others will join in. So when you begin to see uh, one person take a leap of faith, you know what that does for somebody else? I, I can do that. I can step in. And so when Saul's watchmen in Gibeah, Benjamin, looked, they saw the panicking troops scattering in every direction. And then it continues on in verse 17. Saul said to the troops, call the roll call, determine who has left us. The so they called the roll and saw that Jonathan and his armor bearer were, were gone. So Saul told Ahijah, bring the ark of God, for it was with the Israelites at that time. And while Saul spoke to the priest, the panic in the Philistine camp increased in intensity. We're talking about two guys. 20 men killed and everything is just all chaos. So Saul said to the priest, stop, stop what you're doing. Hang on here. This is really important here. In verse 19, Saul spoke to the priest. The panic in the Philistine camp increased and said, so Saul stop. He said to the priest, stop what you're doing. So he inquired to the, the priest, what? Like what's going on? Would you inquire before the Lord? Hey, what is happening? But as soon as he saw the Philistine camp increase, he says, nah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about what I just asked. 
And so what does he do? In verse 20, Saul and all the troops with him assembled, marched to the battle, and there the Philistines were fighting against each other in great confusion. Verse 21, there were Hebrews from the other area who had gone earlier into the camp to join the Philistines. But even the ones that deserted the, the Hebrews, they're now coming back to the Israelites. They then rejoined the Israelites who was Saul and Jonathan. So what are those guys called in military that, when they do that? Deserters? Deserters. I thought there was another terminology for it. Traitors? Yeah, we're close there. Traitors. All of these guys. All of these people we just described. They're now coming back. Why? Because, oh, the victory is now to Saul and Jonathan? Saul didn't do squat. But it says in verse 22, When all the Israelite men who had been hiding in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they also joined Saul and Jonathan. So all everybody... So the little chicken littles, the people that went AWOL, they're all joining the battle because the victory's clearly already been won. And so what you're going to see here in verse 20, uh, let me just say this. What you're going to see here is that everyone sees the power of God. So the Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle extended beyond Beth-Avon. Verse 24, and the men of Israel who were worn out that day. Now watch this. This is really bizarre. You know, when people see a move of God, they see incredible things. Sometimes they do things that they just shouldn't do. It's almost like they're on this mountain top high, right? And then they come down and then they're like, it's like they forgot everything. It says that the men were worn out from that day. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not quite sure, but for Saul had placed the troops under an oath. So for some reason, he told all the troops, the man who eats food before evening, before I've taken vengeance on my enemies is cursed. So none of the troops tasted any food. Oh, hey, by the way, as you fight, as you have to deal with the rest of the stuff here, no eating. Why? Why would he say such a ridiculous thing? Why would he such uh, place such a rash curse or an oath onto his own people? He was trying to instill fear into his men. It was never dependence upon the Lord. It was, hey, I'm in charge. He was establishing control from his own perspective. And so everybody went into the, into the forest and there was honey on the ground. So like everywhere they're walking, like wouldn't that be kind of annoying? You know, you can't even move. There's honey on the ground. Honeycombs probably found in the forest. But when the troops entered the forest, they saw the flow of honey, but none of them ate any of it because they feared the oath. Now look, let's just talk about this. How many times prophetically was the land of Israel described as a land what? Flowing with milk and honey. Flowing with milk and honey. This milk mentality is that there's livestock and that they're going to be able to find pasture everywhere. The honey mentality is that there's this vast fa- uh, farmland that bees had plenty of uh, uh, plants to draw their nectar from. And so like you should expect honey everywhere. Like, this is the land that God promised, and guess what Saul, the, what, a, what a dork. He tells his people, the, the land that God promised, you can't touch. You can't eat, you can't taste. That's like saying, I don't want anything of God's presence. I'm going to do it on my own. All because Saul wants the credit. He doesn't want to give credit to the Lord. Everywhere, I'm telling you, over and over, Exodus 3, 8, Numbers 14, 8, Deuteronomy 31, 20, over and over, there's a spacious land, your enemies are going to be overcome, and I am going to give you a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And even though the spies, you remember this, even though they saw that it was flowing with milk and honey, 
They came back and said, we can't do it. But Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can do this. And now here they are actually walking into the land. Can we go back to the topographical map of, of Michmash in the distance? Like everywhere they walked, their feet were sticky. And they couldn't even clean it off. They couldn't even touch it. They couldn't even participate in the presence of God. God was saying, I am so here right now. It's crazy to me. Psalm 119, 103, if you'll go there. Psalm 119, 103. I, I really, we could camp out here on this whole honey thing over and over and over. And I, I kind of want to just for a little bit. Your, how sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Really what needed to happen was Saul needed to realize it's not about the honey, it's about the word of God. That if he really remembered the word of God, he could partake, they could participate and taste in the sweetness of the honey. They just needed to know the word of the Lord. In fact, Psalm 19, verse 9, Kevin, if you'll go there, same mentality. Oh, you think this honey is incredible? You should try listening to me. And, and uh, let's go to Psalm 81, verse 16. Psalm 81, verse 16. But it says, but he would feed Israel with the best wheat, and I would satisfy you with honey from the, the rock. I, you know, Kevin, let's go to one more verse. Can you go to Ezekiel 3, 3? This is the mentality of participating, as Jack Wellman says, uh, and he, he's quoting the prophet here. Ezekiel 3, 3 says, Son of man, eat and fill your stomach with the scroll I'm giving you. So I ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. Look, all I'm trying to say is that as they went into the land, they're experiencing the honey. Saul says, no, don't partake it. But if all, if all he could do was remember the Pentateuch, if he could remember the word of God, if he could remember God's promise, I'm going to give this to him, he would say, man, experience this. But he, he didn't know the word of God, so he couldn't experience what God had for him in his life. There's a lot there that Saul did. And in fact, Jonathan, though, in verse 27, he didn't hear that his father made the troops swear the oath. And he reached out at the end of the staff as he, as he was walking and he was carrying. And guess what he did? He dipped it into the honeycomb. And you know what I like? Jonathan got to partake and he dipped the honeycomb. When he ate the honey, what happened? What did Jonathan get? What did Jonathan get? Jonathan got strength. What did these guys? They were, uh, it says they were worn out. Man's plan. God's plan. A lot of people in life want to know what's God's plan. Well, can I just tell you, you got to believe that God can give you the victory. You got to believe that God wants to guide you. You have to believe that you have to actually step out in faith. And as you step out in faith, others are going to join you and they're going to actually see the power of God. But in order to understand this, guess what? Can I just say this? You have to know, know the word of God. That's exactly what is happening. All of this unfolds and a lot of drama happens. I mean, it's, it's a lot of drama. And one of the troops said, Your father made the troops solemnly swear the man who eats food today is cursed. And the troops are exhausted. So they're having this conversation. And scripture continues. And Jonathan says, Hey, my father's brought trouble to the land. Just look at how I renewed my energy because I tasted a little honey. <laughs> how much better if the troops had eaten freely today from the plunder if they took from their enemies. Then the slaughter of the Philistines would have been much greater. You know, there's so much here. I'm not even, I'm not even going to get into anything else. Here's what I want to say. When you follow God's plan, look what he says, you guys. There's freedom. When you follow man's plan, you know what there is? 
bondage. And in order to experience the freedom, you guys, you got to step out in faith. Nobody guarantees that it's going to be good. We don't know that the 20 men weren't going to, and I'm, we don't know the 20 men weren't going to take off a finger of Jonathan. We don't know that the 20 men weren't going to stab him on the side. We don't, we don't know 100% like everything was going to look good, but, but Jonathan believed the victory was his. And in this process, he got to experience more of the presence of God. All right, guys, this is uh, 1 Samuel 14. Again, if you want to see more about how the rest of the story ends, by all means, go for it. We know that Saul made a foolish vow. We know that he made a foolish judgment, right? We know, we know all of these things, but the reality was Jonathan made the right decision. And I think you're going to see a pattern of Jonathan making the right decision and Saul not making the right decision. All right, guys, we'll talk to you tomorrow, tomorrow with 1 Samuel 15 and 16. Thanks.